Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, friends. It's another gorgeous day here on the planet Earth, no matter where you are. And I can say that because it's really in spite of and in the middle of the blessing of whatever the weather is that you're experiencing. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're experiencing it, it means you're alive, you can see and hear, you're vibrant enough to know that weather is a part of your life. And that's a good thing. Think about all the people who are either incarcerated or infirmed to the point where they can't experience the weather. So it's a gorgeous day. I'm sitting in the Midwest of the United States, and it is late August. And it is gorgeous. The sun is shining. The leaves are still green on the trees. The air is nice and crisp, and it makes me feel alive and happy. And here at the K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it, we get excited about things that make us feel happy. Because when we're happy, we're motivated and we're inspired. And isn't that, by the way, a message that we would like to deliver all over the planet, but particularly here in the United States? I say yes. Now, as a psychologist and as a person who's done consulting in education and been in the classroom at the university level, I will tell you that I really treasure the people who have the capacity, the courage, the intelligence to be able to have the heart as well as the mind to walk into classrooms and do what they do with our youth, grade school, middle school, senior high. The couple that I have on today are amazing, Lloyd and Sherry Sizemore, and they are lifelong educators, and they have a company called more communications, and they function as educational consultants. They're really good-hearted people. These are people who walked into the classroom and made so much of a difference that nominations poured forth for them as teachers of the year. Now, i got to tell you, I'm not courageous enough to want to walk into a middle school or a high school and try my talents in front of adolescents to be teaching them every day, year after year. That takes a special brand of courage. So I'm going to introduce my guests here this morning so we can start this great conversation and inspire and motivate everybody in our listening audience to Tune in to how you can make a difference. So, good morning, Sherry and Lloyd. How are you this morning? Great. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> so, you have written a book, Lloyd, called Crossing the Bridge Strategies for Building Positive Teacher Student Parent Relationships. Fabulous. Where is it? How does our listening audience get a hold of it? On our website. Great. And tell us the name of the website. The website is www.lovetoteach.today. Okay. Lovetoteachtoday.com? No, it's lovetoteach.today, period. That's it. Oh, dot .today, so it's not a dot .com. Right. Okay. Um, that's interesting. I never heard of that. I know. I was very fortunate when I set that up that I was able to get dot .today. I thought it felt kind of fit what we were doing. Okay, great. So um, tell us why it is that you're calling it Crossing the Bridge and why it is that this is so important for the two of you. Well, for years I felt like teachers were on one bank of a river and the parents and students were on the far bank and each side were yelling back and forth trying to make themselves heard. And I always thought it would be great if there was a bridge where the two sides could meet in the middle and discuss the issues that were important to them. Ah, fabulous. 
So when you when you're putting together the strategies, give us some ideas about the things that are important to have in place so that that can happen because that sounds fascinating. Well, some of the strategies are to listen more than you talk, have a respect for students, teach with compassion, and be willing to be an advocate for students, to discipline with fairness and consistency, and be the very best teacher that you can be. Wow. Tall order. Have you, and what kind of response have you gotten to the book so far? I've had a lot of people express interest in the topic, and a lot of my former students are very interested in reading about essentially their experiences that are in the book. Mm. You know, this sounds to me like this book could be a tool to empower the teachers and the parents and the students to come together for some real mutual respect, some some commitment to coming together. And, and I like that you're calling yourselves more communication because there seems to be a real void in the communication in education between the those three parties. Would you say that that's accurate? I would agree. Yeah. And if we're not communicating with one another, then there's absolutely no hope because all people do is sit in their own head and kind of uh, make stuff up about what might be happening inside of other people, right? Well, it seems to me that maybe the most significant issue of education, both today and in the future, is our national obsession with testing. And it seems to strip the humanity out of the classroom, that we're more concerned with comparing kids to other kids than we are with what is really best for the kids. Mm-hmm. Boy, I agree with that 100% because the tests and the and the value, the scores, the value of the scores, what gets done with those scores, the ways in which Teachers have pressure on them, and schools have pressure, and school districts have pressure. It's like um, our education system has completely lost sight of individual capacity, compassion in the classroom, customizing what it is that needs to be done. It it just it feels it feels. Um, I think you put it really well when when you describe basically it's inhumane. Well, I found that there are a lot of kids out there who have stories to tell, but it's not that they don't want to tell their story. They don't have the opportunity because no one is listening. No one is giving them the opportunity to tell their story. Uh, There is so much more of a concern about comparing test scores from school district to school district, school to school, so that someone can use it as a bragging point to say, look what we've done, instead Mm -hmm. of being concerned about, okay, how is this going to help the child eventually? Mm -hmm. I agree. So can you give us some examples of stories that are running through your mind when you say these kids, the students have got stories? Like what kind of stories are you thinking about, Lloyd? Uh, When I began teaching in high school, I had a young lady in class who was very bright, uh, uh, very attractive, and really seemed to hit hit it off well with her classmates, was always willing to communicate with them, and very good student. And then over time, I noticed that her grades began to decline, and she became more and more withdrawn. And so one day after class, I took her aside and said, hey, what's going on? Can you tell me about it? And she said, Mr. Sizemore, my mother's living boyfriend has begun molesting me. And so we made arrangements 
to contact the police. The boyfriend was arrested. And after a, a, a few months, she came to me and said, I will be gone for the next week because I'm going to testify at the trial. And oh. so when she back, she had a, a piece of paper checking out of school, and I was stunned. I asked her, what happened? She said, well, the judge gave my mother a choice to uh, that the boyfriend could no longer live in the same house with her and the kids. And she said, so because my mother depended on the boyfriend's income to survive, the mother had decided to put her daughter and her son up for adoption or put them into foster. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's horrifying. Horrifying. A kid who had done absolutely nothing wrong, and yet she was being punished. And uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't a very good teacher for the next week or so because I was so angry uh, with the mother and the system that would have allowed this to happen. There are lots of kids mm. out there with stories like that. And so one of the things I emphasize, you listen to the kids, listen to their stories. I always made it a point to walk around the classroom when the kids were working and would try to engage them in conversation, ask them what their hobbies and interests were, what mm-hmm. extracurricular activities they were involved in, and what their mm-hmm. goals in life were. And mm-hmm. the kids appreciated somebody just being willing to listen to them for a change rather than just telling them what they needed right. to do. You know, one of the things that that I remember from school, from grade school, and I, I grew up in Chicago in an era when um, school buses were virtually non-existent. And I grew up in the city. I'd walk to school. We knew who our teachers were. There maybe were 20 students in a class for every teacher. Every now and again, there'd be a student teacher. You knew who that teacher was. We had the same teachers year after year in that school building, K through 8, and then the same thing in high school, same teachers for those four years, people who had been there for a long time. They were known in the community, and parents knew those teachers from child to child. And the parents and the teachers knew one another. Those teachers knew our families. They knew something about the dynamic. And I, I remember um, uh, specific times when a, a, a fellow student would be gone from class for several days or several weeks, and the teacher would compassionately say to us as a class, so-and-so is in the hospital, and here's what's the matter. We're going to make them a card, and, and we're going to keep them in our thoughts. Or so-and-so's mother died, and we need to be um, compassionate for them, and then we need to be additionally kind when they return. And they would spend time with that process of familiarity so that we weren't being educated by somebody who is a complete stranger. This is somebody who demonstrated that they knew us and they cared about us. And I don't know, with the amount of pressure that educators are under these days, I don't know if they feel like they've got the room to be able to do that. So I think your point is brilliant. Is anybody listening, Lloyd? I'm afraid not. I know in the district we live in, uh, they have planned to close two small elementary schools and to build a much larger mega elementary. And my fear is, once again, kids get lost in the shuffle. They become a name on a spreadsheet instead of a person. I agree with you 100%. I, I don't understand why my profession of psychologists aren't more vocal and assertive about making it very clear that the social psychology of the schoolhouse is critical. And we we are doing ourselves an enormous disservice when we close schools. I don't think we should ever close a school. If we've got, uh, you know, five students in a classroom, great. Give them a richer experience if, and allocate the funding. You know, we can get creative about the ways to have wars, but somehow we cannot get creative about the ways to allocate 
teachers and resources to educate the little people in our world who are coming up in it. I've always believed that the community school was the center of the community. And when you start closing those schools and moving kids out of the community, then you begin destroying that community as well. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, with the news that we've had just recently about what happened to the live broadcasters in Virginia, and I think about the person who was the shooter. Do you know the story that I'm talking about that happened yes, just So when I think about that, my most immediate thought was, what happened to that person who was the shooter that they felt so so um, isolated? You know, were they mentally ill and were they somehow uh socialized in a manner that made them feel like they were irrelevant. And I think when we continue to build these monolithic schoolhouses, we make people feel so insignificant, like you just said, as though they're just one little square on an an enormous spreadsheet that people can't help but become ill mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. One of the advantages I had, the last 29 years of my career, I taught in the same high school, and it was the school that I had gone to. And Mm. so I had the opportunity to teach children of some of my former students, and that was always very satisfying to me. I knew Mm. the family, and they knew me, and they knew how I taught. And so there was an immediate connection with the family and the student. And sometimes parents would tell me, you know, uh, my younger children have grown up listening to stories about your class around the dinner table, and they cannot wait to get into your class. Yeah. Amazing. You know, when when we don't value that, when when that is the exception rather than the rule, there's something very wrong. We don't have continuity across the across the grades from third to fourth. We don't have continuity across the generations. And when that happens, it seems to me like we get anonymity as opposed to familiarity, and people just get lost. Well, you take a look at the dropout rate in our country, which even though it's come down in recent years, it's still even one dropout is too many as far as I'm concerned. Studies have shown that the relationship between the teacher and student can have a high uh effect on the likelihood of a student staying in school. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you and Sherry on here together, other than the fact that you're an adorable married couple, is that you're both in the arena of education. And so this has been your story, and it's also Sherry's story. So you had 35 years of experience in the classroom, and Sherry had 13 years teaching and then going on for her her doctorate in education over there at Baylor and moved into administration and got to be spending time as a middle school principal. Um, and then, Sherry, I understand that you've also written a book, uh, Love to Teach. It's the Love to Teach book series. And your first book is entitled To Love to Teach Again, Rekindling Passion and Joy to Keep You in the Classroom. Congratulations on all of that. That's magnificent. I mean, for both of you, it sounds um, trite to say it, and it and it's also sounds kind of pathetic, but I mean it in the most respectful way. You're survivors of the education system and survivors of being in the classroom. Absolutely. Congratulations on your book. Tell us what motivated you to write that book and and create that particular title. 
Well, um, with the years that Lloyd and I have experienced together, like you said, we've both experienced um, different aspects of, of education. He more in the, in the teacher-student realm. I have been more in the administrator-teacher realm. And um, after we retired, uh, we knew that we were, we still had a lot that we felt that we could offer. And one of the things that we really started looking at was we had a lot of our own children's friends in education, and they were, after two years, already getting out of education. And so we started doing a little more research, and Deb, one of the stats that we see nowadays is that 50% of all new teachers to the classroom are out within three to five years, and sometimes sooner. And... That really concerns me because our universities are really doing a good job of preparing our future teachers better yeah. than when probably in school. And um, so I do. I I am very confident that we're we are producing quality teachers from the universities, but there are just certain things that are causing teachers to to feel so stressed and uh, burned out that we're losing not only our new teachers, but we're looking veteran teachers far before their retirement. And it's just because they are, they've just had enough. And uh, so that worries us because we feel like, I don't feel like we're going to have a teacher shortage. I think there will always be teachers, but we're concerned that there's going to be a shortage of quality teachers. And... Um, you know, I feel like education and teaching kids is probably, you know, I may be a little partial, but um, the most important profession because we're preparing people for the rest of the their lives and in other professions. So teaching has got to be a top priority in our nation, and taking care of our teachers is what I feel. I agree with you 100%. Education is the foundation of a culture, and if we are not taking care of our educators and helping them not only be prepared for the academic intellectual side of it, but also the emotional and the nurturing side of it, we're really failing. We're failing them. We're failing the students. And, you know, the thing that the thing that I find is, that's so disturbing is that the parents expect the teachers to be teaching the children certain things. And sometimes it's the same things that the teachers expect that the parents have taught the children before they even arrive at the schoolhouse in the way of social skills and manners and appropriate behavior. It doesn't seem like we've got an agreement or a training ground for where it is that everything is supposed to take place so that everybody knows, okay, by the time you get to school, these things ought to all be in place. Am I mistaken, or is that part of your finding? Oh, that's that's definitely. I mean, Lloyd and I are, are very pro-preschool. Uh, we want to see more preschool classes develop in the nation because um, we've seen in our state, we've seen the standards being moved down so that uh, kindergartners now need, they're now being tested or prepared for what used to be first-grade material. And so yeah. if we kids that come into kindergarten and they have no other um, no other environment to develop social skills and things like that. They go into, uh, into kindergarten um, just so so behind and you get a kid behind in kindergarten and they almost never are able to, to catch up. Mm-hmm. Right, right. There's developmental delays that are just a part of the reality. You know, one of the things that I keep looking at is in the midst of um, households where we've either got single parents or we've got, uh, and that single parent has to be part of the workforce for sure survival, or we've got two parents working or two parents who just don't seem to understand children need to have time spent with them. I, I, I almost resist the idea of this, the 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 notion of quality time versus quantity time so people think that they can just drop in on their children occasionally and teach them things we really need a lot of time with parents 
spending time with their children, teaching them the phonetics, the the ways in which to speak and to listen, to know their numbers, to know their alphabet, not waiting for them to go to the schoolhouse to begin their education, but being read to, being sung to. Um, and that seems to me to support the idea that we need more preschools, but it seems like we wouldn't need preschools if we made our children an absolute priority and negotiated our work around what the needs of our children are. Am, am I being too harsh? Oh, no, no. I, I totally agree. Um, the the time that parents spend from, from birth until the time they do walk into school, they've got to be the teachers. And... Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, prepare the kids in in good speech habits and reading to them a lot and being with them so they just observe, you know, how does mom and dad do this or how do we deal with this situation. And you can tell. You can tell the difference when kids don't have that in their lives. Right. So I love what the two of you are doing and and it and it seems to me that what you've written and what you believe in really needs to be blasted out into our culture so that people can hear from the two of you. You're a dynamic duo. Uh and having you be on not just this program and my platform here on Blog Talk Radio, but having you in front of the cameras, being able to talk about it in the face of all the problems that we've got going on in the nation, particularly as we've got candidates ramping up to run for president here in our country. It it just feels critical that your message gets attention that it that it deserves. Are, are, do you guys have some plans for really getting out there and pushing and doing speaking engagements and events? Yes, we do. Um, we are in the process of lining up quite a few um, sessions that we can go into schools. Um, we're hoping to take this all over the country if possible, in, in one form or another. We also feel like, though, that, you know, the ability to reach out and communicate with people is not just isolated in education, that any form of business can benefit if they implement these strategies. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent, yes. It's a very generalizable model that you're talking about that's really needed everywhere. Well, we appreciate your comments because we do want to go nationwide with this. And we are trying to develop ways that we can get into school districts, schools, with our books just going to teachers who need it. Um, I'm just, I'm very, very concerned about teachers and their burnout rates and so forth. And what my book is focused on is getting that work-life balance for them so that they can Learn how to have uh, inner peace, uh, have harmony and presence at home and actually be at home with their kids and mm-hmm. still be an outstanding teacher who cares about her students in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So tell our listening audience, what what are three things that you would love to see parents doing with their children before they send them off to school for kindergarten? Um, I would probably first say, like I said before, reading is so important. Just just read anything, talking to them a lot. Um, I have a, we have a granddaughter right now, it's about a year and a half, and I'm just so uh, excited when I watch her parents just model uh, communication skills, uh, read with her, read to her, provide her with tons of books. Uh, And there's so many ways that that can happen. Um, I think there are a lot of homes that have few, if any, books that kids need to be exposed to. Um, And then just the usual, the counting, the numbers, 
uh, the colors, just basic things like that that they can do simply around the house. But we see so many kids go into school with with very few of those um, skills, and it's 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 so sad because you've got kids who walk into a, a kindergarten class who are already reading, and then you've got kids who don't even know the letter A, and that puts a real strain on that on that kindergarten teacher trying to give all of her students the best education and get them all at the same level is just very difficult. So just, you know, doing very simple things like that, but spending time, like you've said before, and just uh, pointing out things to kids. They they learn so fast at even one and a half. Um, their little brains are just like sponges from the time they turn about one or two till about the time of five. And, and I think so much of that time has not been taking advantage of and, and allowing their brains to just soak in everything they possibly can. Yeah. I'm going to back up the clock on you and say the moment that they are conceived, we can start doing so many things in utero. You know, we know that music has such a great impact, mommy's mood, conversations that she engages in. So if we, if I understand you correctly, the thing you'd like to see if we listed them one through three is one, mommy and daddy, be talking to your baby, be talking to your little tyke, that little toddler, that little bitty person, talk to them and engage them in the process of understanding the language that we're speaking, talk to them, encourage them to talk back to you, and as you're engaging in that, in that, that would be one. Number two would be start teaching them in just general interactions how to count so that they know what their numbers are, so that they can count one through ten, and then you can you can move up through that. And, and number three would be be reading to them and teaching them about the value of reading, the value of being read to, the value of books and literature and information and pictures, and start teaching them alphabet and their phonetics. So those would be three things that you would suggest, yes? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And then I'm going to bet that you would add, if I asked you to add two more things onto that, four would be, teaching them how to get along with others, and five would be teaching them their manners. So please and thank you and yes and no and looking people in the eye and being respectful would be two more things that mom and dad could really do everybody, their kids and the education system, a big favor if they would engage in one through five. Yes, yes. Mm. One of the current fads in education is teaching what is called core values. And I know in our district, the way they would try to do it is the school board would select a number of values they felt that every child should have, and the district would print up thousands of glossy posters with those values listed on them and tell the teachers that they needed to post them in prominent places in their classroom as if just looking at those values on the poster, they would somehow uh, make them a part of their life. But I found that if you want kids to have core values, they need to see those values modeled. Yes. One hundred percent. You know, I think that people have gone too far with advertising and and they think that they are somehow that they don't need to engage in the actual energy of teaching people and practicing the behaviors. No, look at the wall. We've created that slick poster over there. We are accountable and we can feel good about ourselves because we've posted it up over there. But then there's no real life to it. I think that that's an exquisite point that you make, Lloyd. And and we need to change that so people are actually engaging in those behaviors. What are some exactly. of the core values? What are some of the core values that you've seen posted? Respect, kindness, honesty. Mm. 
Uh, really in my vague. classroom, I was always yeah. concerned about honesty, and I understood that teenagers, uh, even though they needed to do well in my class, history may not be their highest priority. And so I tried to find a way to discourage cheating. I always had a rule. Most of my tests were essay tests. I would tell a child if they had a ball game the night before the test or a performance or a practice that ran late, they always had the freedom to come to me and say, I am just not prepared for this test. Could I take it at a later time? And I would set a date and a time to give them an alternate test as a way to discourage the practice of cheating, giving them an opportunity to uh, think about the test and prepare for it and move forward in a more constructive manner than uh, finding a, a cheat sheet. Mm. Fabulous. And Sherry, do you have do you have a, a commentary in terms of a of a way in which you would manage that? Um, well, as you can see, that's why Lloyd was Teacher of the Year. He he just. Uh, had so many great strategies and ways that he connected with the students as well as the parents and other teachers he worked with. But, um, you know, I think we've got to, once again, it comes back to taking care of our teachers. We've got to give them the freedom to feel like they can um, work with their kids and not feel like they have to encourage any kind of cheating or, or whatever to make the scores that, you know, the state wants to have. And I see that a lot. I see it where teachers are trying to um, make sure that they're looking good because their administration is putting so much pressure on, you know, you've got to have your scores at this level. And uh, I think that we're doing the kids a disservice and the teachers when we put so much pressure in and say, you know, this we've got to, we've got to have our scores here or, or whatever. And so I don't think in that case that we're teaching honesty like we should be. Mhm. Yeah. So as an administrator, what what sort of um what sort of opportunities do you think that administrators have to be able to go to their boards of education and and deliver your message to their superintendent and their their board of education and get them really enlightened about this reality. Any? Um, you know, that's great. That that would be so great if I could get administrators to be able to go and and voice their concerns. Um, what I'm hoping to do, in addition to writing books for teachers, is to write books for leaders because I see a lot of leaders who are not. Um, being compassionate enough with their teachers, and they they put their teachers under a lot of of stress just just from themselves. And so, to have a, a group of educators who would take this to school board would be awesome, or administrators. I'm sorry, um, but I think there's work to be done inside the administration, inside of the principalship. Um, because one of the reasons our teachers are burning out is because of some of the the um, ways that that they are being treated by their upper uh, supervisors, and um, so I think it's it's kind of a total picture of of getting everybody on board with you know under your kindness uh, pro project. I just think if everybody was more kind. Yeah. Everywhere, but in schools, I just I see it lacking, and I just think what you're doing is awesome because that is so key to all of this and to the success of our teachers, of our students, of our schools. Um, and we're just not taking the time to get to know our kids, to be compassionate with them, to get to know them as people, so that we can really care for them, and then. To know our teachers too, and to take care of them also. Mm -hmm. I agree and unfortunately, with you what happens with many administrators once they get to central administration, 
they build these human firewalls between themselves and the parents and the community. Uh, The reason they go into administration is they don't want to have to deal with those kind of people that they had to deal with in the classroom. And so if we could break down those firewalls where there was more direct communication between the leadership and teachers and parents, we would be much better off as a system. I agree with you 100%. And, uh, and you know, those firewalls are the opposite of kindness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, as I was asking uh, Sherry the question about um, is stepping forward and encouraging people to step forward, I almost felt embarrassed because what, what I know as a psychologist who's gone around the country and worked with different school districts and even, you know, private schools the the educators and the administrators alike are afraid. They're all afraid. They're afraid because of the lack of kindness and the lack of a real, core, solid, authentic, genuine relationship with their board of education and with one another. People are afraid to step up and step out of the box and say, wait a second, this is wrong. We can't be worried about the competition here. We can't be worried about the dollars here. We're in the business of education, which is about educating lives, inspiring lives, inspiring children, making sure that parents are good and decent, making sure that our educators are good and decent, and that everybody's working together for the benefit of our culture and we're moving forward in a methodical and strategic and loving way to make sure everybody's okay. And it's not soft science. It's reality. And psychology is the basis of our existence. We have to live and breathe and feel good about how we're doing it. You know, the story, Lloyd, about the student who was in such a compromised position, who she and her brother are being put up for adoption, that's crushing. That is absolutely crushing when things like that happen and nobody knows about it or we're forced into a position to think that we have to just witness it and let it happen. It's so cruel. It's cruel to the spirit. It's cruel to it's cruel to the culture. And I don't know how we ever recover from that. And, I, and, and in the face of that, I don't know why we are surprised every time we hear about violence when we're not nurturing people in the ways that they need to be nurtured. And that's on both sides of the equation. The adults who are who are not being nurtured for the jobs that they're doing and the 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 young people who are coming up in our systems who aren't being nurtured and cared for in the ways that are so essential. It I, the message that you're delivering is I'm so passionate about it. I just I, I am I am befuddled at the lack of kindness and investment and motivation to invest in kindness and really put it into action. No shiny posters allowed. (laughs) I agree. I agree. You know, uh, I think one of the reasons that we are so excited to share what we are doing right now is that we are out from under any district uh, responsibilities or, you know, as retired people, we are able to kind of voice the concerns that we have. And that's that's our hope is that because um, we are able to be independent now, that we can be the voice and the advocates for our teachers and our, our kids and our schools and because we see such potential. And there are schools, you know, not all schools and not all administrators or teachers are are not are are bad. Um, there are some that are doing some outstanding things, and you see when you see the kids that come out of those schools, you know that it's possible. But um, so that's we're excited to be able to step out of our um, former uh, positions and to be able to really voice this concern. I, by the way in no way insinuated that we've got bad going on. What I think is I think we've got lost going on. The educators that I've dealt with over the decades have been people who went into the profession for for their heart's desire because they were truly motivated and inspired and there was love at the core of it. 
and their ambition was about that. But, you know, I think when people walk into the situation and they find themselves being tongue-tied and then their their administrators are afraid and they get tongue-tied, we end up with a bunch of adults who really want to speak out and yet they've got to pay the bills and they're afraid of getting fired they, if they lose this job, where do they go? You know, there's so many negative implications. I think people just get lost in the mix. And then we forget, why did I go into this in the first place? What was my motivation? What was it that I meant to say? And when we do that, we forget to reward ourselves for having the courage to go and step into what we believe in and be strategically outspoken, become strategic advocates for what is right. I mean, you talk about the ways in which the two of you feel free now to write and to speak. It sounds to me like during the course of your careers, you were courageous. You took risks for the benefit of your students and for your your colleagues because you couldn't help it. You just felt so passionate about it. So maybe now you are in an even greater position to be able to do that. But it sure does it sure does seem to me like people need a lot of encouragement to be courageous. Well, my word would be for both teachers, parents and students, don't let the system beat the idealism out of you, which it uh, will do. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell us again for our listening audience what the website is where they can get both of your books. It's www.lovetoteach.today. And how much do your books sell for? Um, to be honest with you, Dr. Deb, they are still in... Um, process of being published so we we advertise them and um, uh, we're not quite to the to that point of being able to give you a price okay so when people go to your website will they will they get a notification that says stay tuned so that everybody who gets excited about wanting to get your books in their hands they know that they'll be out um in yeah. a year or in six months or in a week? What's your timeline? Um, we're hoping in six months. And absolutely, we'll let, we'll let it, we'll be hollering it from the rooftops when, when it's ready. That's absolutely fabulous. That's great. And do you, do you have, do you have a schedule for the rest of 2015 for speaking engagements? Or are you just getting started on that looking to have engagements roll out in 2016? Yes, both. Okay. Absolutely. I also okay. want to say that um, if anyone is interested and if you are a planner for school professional development or even corporate seminars or workshops, we would love to design a program or a presentation that would fit your needs and we'll work with you. We're we're just anxious to get out in the... Um, in the world and share the things that we are learning and the things that we have experienced and we want to see we want to be a, a catalyst for seeing our education system make that turnaround that's so needed. That's absolutely fabulous. So if people want to be in touch with you, um do you have a social media platforms where people can uh, be seeing what you're doing kind of in real time, Facebook or LinkedIn? We, uh, I am on LinkedIn. Um, our business hasn't actually been set up on a Facebook, but that is uh, that will happen within the next couple of months. Okay. And um, how do they find you on LinkedIn? Uh, Sherry Sizemore. Okay. And and Sherry is C H E R I, and Sizemore is phonetically correct. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. And 
Is there is there a way that people can email you, or do you want them to phone you? What's the best way for people to reach in your direction? Um, on our website, we've also got an email address. I can give you that too. It okay. is the number more communications at gmail dot com. Wait. Say it again. Yes, please. Okay, it's two more communications. The number two is the first character at gmail.com. Great. Well, I'll tell we you what, we're, we're about out of time here, and it has been an absolute delight to have the two of you on here today. It's obviously a message I'm passionate about, and I look forward to having you back when you are launching your book so that we can help facilitate getting it out there. Oh, Dr. Deb, we'll definitely let you know. We would love to be back. That would be great. That would be wonderful. Well, thank you, Lloyd and Sherry, for being here today. And I will be looking forward to more communication with you, okay? Thanks, Dr. Deb. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, thank you. Well, friends, today's episode is one that I obviously have a lot of passion for. If you stop and think about it, the kindest thing that we can do with a new life is embrace it. And with that beautiful little mind inside of every new human being, there's curiosity, there's intelligence, there's wonderment. And to leave it sitting is just painful to even think about. There's so much for us to learn about in this life, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. On every dimension, there are things that we as human beings want to engage in and feel confident and competent about. When it comes to education... Education is not just a formalized system. It is the foundation for our existence, for us to be learning while we're living. I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and that you will tune in to what you're doing to facilitate the education, not just of yourself on a daily basis, but For those around you, the little ones, the older ones, the ones who are your contemporaries, and embrace it. This is your host of The K-Factor here on Blog Talk Radio, Dr. Deb Carlin, where K equals kindness and the factors are all the things that lead to it. Thank you very much for tuning in today and stay tuned for next time.